Stormy Ray. I created NewNormCo.com and The New Norm Co on Instagram to share all things plant-based. I'm on a mission to make plant-based living your new normal because I really believe that a plant-based diet is the gateway to a healthier, happier life. At least it was for me. And I know that I'm not the only one. So I'm here to uncover other people's plant-based stories to leave you feeling inspired to leave animals off of your own plate. On this show, I'll be having conversations with people from all around the world that have made plant-based eating their new normal. I know from experience that making the switch is not easy. And sometimes you're wondering, should I do this? Why should I do this? So with these interviews, I want to show you why they went plant-based, how they've changed their lives, how they do it, and their best tips for living this lifestyle so that you can do it too. We'll also cover building healthy habits, taking old ones, and getting outside of your comfort zone. We'll talk with people from all walks of life, from your everyday vegan to people who have made plant-based diets and veganism their life's purpose. Everyone has to start somewhere, and I hope these stories leave you inspired to think about eating more plants. On occasion, you'll also hear episodes from just me. I'll talk about plant-based food, veganism, cooking, anything cool that I've learned in the past week. And I'll also talk about trying to implement some of the stuff that we learned from our interviews. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a little review. Follow us on Spotify or favorite us on Anchor so you can see our new podcasts that come out every two weeks. And definitely share us with all of your friends. If you're interested in learning more about how to go plant-based, visit my website at newnormco.com or connect with me on Instagram at thenewnormco. In this episode, I interview an amazing lady named Paula Hoyle. Paula is a mom, a wife, and a blogger. She's the creator of an epic online resource called Mental for Lentils that teaches you everything about how to go whole food plant-based and she makes it easy. I'm a big promoter of eating a whole food plant-based diet as opposed to just a regular vegan diet. It's given me such success with my health. So I was super excited to have someone on the show that shares the same passion for whole food plant-based living as me. And she is so, so knowledgeable on the topic. So in this episode, we cover exactly what a whole food plant-based diet is and how it differs from other vegan diets. Paula shares with us how to stock your kitchen and your cupboards for success. We also cover tons of tips for transitioning both yourself and your family to the diet and how to do so on a budget. And that's just the gist of it. We cover so much more. So let's get started. Hey, Paula. Hey, Stormy. Welcome to the New Norm Show. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show because you're, well, because you're awesome and you're whole food plant-based. Yay. Paula here is the creator of a really awesome whole food plant-based blog called Mental for Lentils. Paula, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and your blog. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, obviously, as Stormy said, my name is Paula and uh, I live in London, Ontario with my husband and our two daughters. And uh, we've got a dog and a cat as well, just to make things a little more crazy and fun. And uh, we went plant-based about five years ago. So I was working a corporate job at the time. Um, but then about two and a half years ago, I decided to leave that job because plant-based living had made such a big impact on my life. I decided I wanted to start Mental for Lentils as a way to really help people learn about plant-based eating and reap the health benefits. How did you hear about plant-based? Like, 
How did you first start off getting into it? Funny enough, it was a sick day. So, you know, I was feeling like crap. And what most people do when they're feeling like crap, I was looking for something to watch on Netflix. So I came across a few health, uh, health documentaries. And one that really stuck with me was Forks Over Knives. So what I loved about that documentary is they really made me realize that I had a lot more control over my health than I ever thought. So growing up, I had always thought, you know, you'd see people get sick and, you know, there's a, oh, there's the idea that there's some sort of fate to it or there's some sort of luck to it. And I think for the first time ever, Forks Over Knives really opened my eyes to the fact that a lot of that was in my control and that most of the chronic diseases that we're all trying to avoid, you know, we have a big hand in and lifestyle plays a huge role in. So, you know, after that, we did some research and, you know, I wanted to do some thorough research and make sure that, you know, I could meet all of my family's needs with purely plants. And, uh, you know, we decided to give it a try. Thankfully, my husband was on board and, you know, we never looked back. That's so awesome. So you went straight into like whole food plant-based eating from watching that documentary? Pretty much. Um, You know, I had to, there was some slow changes that needed to be made at first because to be fair, uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but my diet was pretty bad. Um, (laughs) Did not eat a lot of vegetables. I mean, fruit and stuff, yes, but the variety definitely wasn't there. Um, yeah. So so there was a lot of adjustment that way that needed to be made. What kind of like what kind of foods did you eat? Just like the regular like meat, some sort of like potato or rice and veggies or like were you more like processed food kind of thing? Because like my family thought we were healthy too. And then when you really like now when I look back at it, I'm like this, this food's not healthy. But my mom still thinks it's healthy. She doesn't believe that like You know how you were saying when you watch Forks Over Knives, you realize that you were in control of some of the diseases. Mm -hmm. I I find sometimes people don't want to to believe that they can have a little bit of control over it by changing what they eat. That's so, so, so true. And, you know, some people look at it as look at that statement or the idea that they have control as, you know, blame. Like if you're sick, we're blaming you. And it's I, I came up, it, sorry, it came across to me completely differently. To me, it was um, inspiring. I was like, oh my gosh, this is empowering to me. And I was like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Did you have, um, like, did you have any many issues before you did it that you went plant-based and you saw them kind of disappear? Because I know that helped for me, like, because I actually felt really like crappy and had stuff wrong with me in the plant-based. It's like, you can see the difference. Whereas, for some people, maybe if they already feel okay, they're like, well, why would I, why would I change if I'm okay right now? But later down the road, you could end up with like heart disease. Well, exactly. Um, So yeah, I mean, there was definitely some issues I was looking to fix. And but I think the big one was looking at my family history. And there's a lot of heart disease in my family history. There's a lot of cancer, especially female reproductive cancers in my family history. And so I think for a long time, I was living with kind of this anvil over my head, just waiting for, you know, just waiting for the puck to drop. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, forks over knives really opened my eyes. And I thought, I don't have to live that way anymore. I don't have to live in fear. I can do everything in my power to make sure it doesn't happen. I mean, 
you know, you do everything you can. Yeah. And it, it's not like a guarantee, but it improves your chances, right? Significantly, yes. Because you took the eCornell course from the whole food plant-based like eCornell course. And I know I just finished taking that. And for those of you listening, it's a plant-based nutrition course. And it actually teaches you and shows you the science behind all of the things that can be prevented by a plant-based diet or improve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fantastic course. Um, I think, especially knowing that I wanted to help people with this knowledge, um, I really wanted to make sure that, you know, I had more background um, and I really wanted to take a deep dive into the science behind it and understand that a lot better. Um, yeah. And uh, I, one of the things I loved the most about that course was they showed you how to look critically at a study. And I don't think I realized at the time just how many studies are really manipulated to, you know, make something look helpful or less harmful, um, you know, than it really is. And there's a lot of industry funded studies out there. And, you know, we see the headlines all the time, butter is back and bacon is good for you. And yeah. but a lot of these are studies that are, if you look into the methodology behind them, you know, they're really not they're They've got no weight to stand on They They don't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, it's hard because most people just see the news headlines, right? They don't see the the scientific articles. And also I find, like I learned about scientific articles when I went to university, mm-hmm. but if you didn't do that, then you might not even know the difference between say what goes in the newspaper and what, you know, is actual science. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's important too to remember that when it comes to media, those headlines are all about grabbing your attention. They're not yep. going to say, you know, oh, this may not be as harmful as we once believed no that's that's not going to sell that's not going to sell newspapers or magazine right butter is back that's you know that's what's going to sell in magazine yep that's so true and that's why i think um the keto diet is so popular right now oh yeah all those things (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh well it's i think it's one of those things too where it's promises right Everyone's looking for a quick, a quick bullet, you know, the magic bullet, the silver pill, well, switch those magic pill, silver bullet, sorry, (laughs) but uh, everyone's looking for a quick fix, right? Change is hard, especially huge change. So if you're, if you have, you know, standard Western diet, you're eating a lot of meat and a lot of animal products and processed foods. For someone to come along and say to you, well, if you want to be healthy, you have to give all that stuff up or make some, you know, some serious changes to what you're eating. Some people are for that. And some people will go, oh, well, that's not really for me. I want to keep eating the cheese and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the hot wings and whatever else. And it's, it's, I find it super hard too, if you just are doing it for weight loss, because then you have to convince yourself not to eat all these things, but you don't really see why, because if you eat, if you eat keto, you're going to lose weight and you get to eat all the things, not all the things, but you get a lot of the things that you, you want to eat. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't, it requires a lot of willpower at first to change your diet. And if you are only doing it for weight loss, sometimes it's not enough to like motivate you to change like a healthier lifestyle. If you don't know how it's going to fix you internally. 
Yeah, and I think sometimes your your why, your you know, your reason behind it needs to be a lot deeper than, you know, weight loss. Sure, weight loss is great if you've got excess weight to lose and that'll definitely um help your health, improve your health, yeah. but I mean, there's got to be more to it than that. More to it than vanity. I, I and I think that's why diets fail. Yeah. Whereas something like this is, you know, Although we talk a lot about diet and what we eat, it really it really becomes a lifestyle. Like this is just how I eat now. Yeah, it is confusing when you explain it to people because you're saying like my whole food plant based diet, and most people think of diet as yeah, like a temporary fix. But you're like, no, it's yeah. like a diet. Like what makes up the things that I eat all the time. For exactly. Yeah, a pattern of eating versus you know something short term. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for long term health, you know. A short-term diet is not going to do that for you. Yep, that's so true. And I I don't know. I used to try lots of diets. Mine were for my health, but they weren't easy to stick to. They were mostly meat-based and low-carb. And when you eat really low-carb, it's really hard to stick to that diet because your your body craves carbs, right? You want them naturally. and Absolutely. Um, you get that on a whole food plant-based diet, so then you don't you don't want to binge eat and break your diet because you're actually allowed to eat the things that your body, your body's like craving in a healthy way, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's, I think the the biggest problem behind keto and low carb diets in general is they really vilify carbohydrates. And when it comes down to it, it's not about eating carbs. It's about which carbs you choose. So I always kind of say, you know, I've had people comment on my stuff. Oh, well, you know, eating carbohydrates uh, causes you to uh, causes um, uh, food addiction and you, you won't be able to stop yourself. And I said, well, wait a minute. Here's the thing. There's a big difference between carbohydrates in, say, a cupcake and carbohydrates in, say, a bowl of oats. I've never seen someone who could not control themselves around a bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> right. <laughs> But cupcakes, on the other hand. <laughs> Maybe you're eating that oatmeal with the dinosaur eggs in it. Have you seen that? Yes. <laughs> I used to eat those when I was a kid. And you're like, I just want more. I want those little dinosaur eggs to hatch. <laughs> too funny. But yeah, no, you're totally, you're totally right. And I think that's part of the reason why when I finally accepted that carbs were good for me and I tried, because I didn't used to eat fruit either. I tried not to eat fruit for like 10 years or something crazy like that. And once I switched, it was, I could finally stick to a diet and then it just became like a lifestyle um, way of eating. And then also it's not just for you, right? You're saving animals at the same time. So you kind of have a secondary, even if you're going into for your health, you still have that secondary thing that you're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm helping the environment too. So. Absolutely. It's, it's one of the things that um, I notice a lot is, you know, a lot of times people want to know, you know, why do you eat vegan? Is it for the animals or for the, your health or for the environment? And why can't it be all three? Yeah. It's, you know, I, I may have started this journey for my health, but yeah. when you stop and you realize, wait a minute, all this, you know, stuff I've been fed as I was growing up, all this information I was given that meat was necessary, you needed this protein to grow, and this is, not, you know, you need milk for calcium and for your strong bones, and when you start to learn that none of this is true, then it's very easy to see that, wait a minute, why are we doing this then? If I don't actually, if humans don't actually need any of this, then why? Right? So that then, you know, then comes, you know, the wanting to protect the animals and, you know, reduce animal cruelty and, 
you know, again, that if you go a little further and start looking at the environmental impact of those farms and especially factory farms, it's, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I like that because you start, that's kind of like how I started. You start for your health, but then you, you realize there's so many other things and you, it's kind of like a cycle. You just, yeah, you, you start at it's one point and you kind of look at all the other ones. Yeah. And like some people come into it like for the animals right away and then they become more environmentally friendly and they start buying less packaged goods. It's just kind of, it slowly works itself around. Yeah, it's a slow progression and, you know, we're kind of doing the same thing as over time, you know first came the food and you kind of got that nailed down and then it was what about my beauty products and then it was really important to me to make sure that my beauty products were cruelty free and as chemical free as possible and you know you 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 progress and then it's the you know wanting to reduce your waste and your footprint in you know as a whole yeah and it starts to become really fun too like switching over your products and looking at all this new natural stuff and yeah so you just feel better about buying it absolutely um, Paul, I interrupted you like way back when I asked you um, about your eating. Like, what were you eating before you started your whole food journey? So, yeah, I think we started on that a little bit. Um, again, it was I grew up on the typical Western diet. So meat was kind of the center of my plate. There's usually some potato or grain on the side and some sort of vegetable. And, you know, but I wasn't even as a kid, I wasn't big on veggies and as I grew up, you know, you got some more in there, but definitely not as many as I should have been. Mm-hmm. And so when I decided it was time to go plant-based, I knew that I needed to make some big changes. You know, beans were not something I enjoyed prior. Now they're one of my favorite foods. I slipped them into everything. You know, change can happen. It's one of those things that I always remind people because a lot of times you look at this and you think, oh, I couldn't do that. I can't eat that. I don't like that. Well, mm-hmm you can learn to like that. And I'm living proof. Yeah, that is so true. That's what I did with tomatoes. I kept trying them until I liked them. And now I realize how good they actually are, especially when you get them from like a farmer's market. They're so flavorful. But I thought they were gross. But um, for beans, like, how did you do that? Because I have a friend and I kind of mentioned like, maybe she needs more plant based meals. But and like, when I go to her house, most of the things I cook, I don't know. I always am using beans because I love them, but she doesn't like the texture of them. So yeah, that was my problem. So how did you, did you just keep trying them normally or did you like put them inside stuff where you really kind of blended in or? Well, I actually started with, um, I started with lentils and I started with split lentils first because they were the smallest. So I thought as far as texture went, they were a little easier to get used to, you know, to use to that fibrous texture. Yes. So I would put them in things like chili and soup and whatnot. And, you know, so started with kind of split lentils. And then as I was comfortable with those, I started using regular lentils. And then I started with smaller beans. So black beans, you know, are, are usually pretty small. Started with those. And I thought, okay, I can, you know, it's not bothering me anymore. Or, you know, instead of just sitting down and eating a spoonful of black beans, say I would make a burrito with it. So it was black beans, but it was in and among rice and greens and veggies and sauce and, you know, wrapped up in a whole wheat wrap. So it wasn't as, it wasn't as much like right in your face. It was, yeah, it wasn't like the main part. Yeah. And when it comes to texture is a big one, but especially when it comes to flavor, um, another big component in that is that the processed foods really change our taste buds. 
So when you're eating like high sugar, you know, natural fruit doesn't do it for you anymore. You know, and when you're eating really, really salty foods, natural foods taste like cardboard to you. And it can actually take a few weeks um, or longer for some people to kind of re to get those taste buds recalibrated to the point where natural food tastes good again. Yeah, that is true because you you can you can switch over to plant based food and not go the whole food way and then kind mm-hmm. of have the packaged stuff and then yeah, it might taste really good to you, but it's not the healthiest plant based food. And yeah. I have, I have a friend, and whenever I like. I haven't seen her like a year or two, but whenever I would make her food, she'd be like, it tastes like nothing. I'm like, what do you mean? It's so flavorful. And then I realized when I went to visit her, she lives in Australia, that she mostly lives off like chicken burgers and like fast food. Like she rarely cooks at home. So I'm like, your taste buds just have no idea what the food tastes like because they're so used to being like overstimulated. And I'm like, you just need to have like a couple of weeks where you just eat a little bit healthier then you'll start to taste like food. <laughs> exactly. That processed food is, uh, it's meant to be that way. They spend a lot of money researching to find list points and, you know, to master mouthfeel. So that, that bite of anything that comes out of the processed food industry is meant to light your brain up like a Christmas tree and have it screaming for more. Yep. That's true. And I think there, if you go on YouTube and you search, it's called the pleasure trap, right? You yep. can learn more about all about how like your taste buds work and how that whole pleasure response from food. Yeah, I write a post about it on uh, Mental for Lentils as well. Cool. I'll link it in the show notes so people can go read a little bit more about it if they'd like. Oh, awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, so maybe we should explain to everyone what a whole food plant-based diet is. Because sure. I- I don't really know if they know the difference between just like a regular vegan diet and then this, and it really needs a better name because it's so long. (laughs) I'm always like, I want a low fat, whole food, plant-based diet. It's such a mouthful. It is. It is a mouthful, but it's actually pretty descriptive as well, right? So (laughs) we're eating whole plant foods right, as much as possible. But yes, um, as you mentioned, kind of about a vegan diet is you can move to a vegan diet and there's a ton of processed food on the market today uh, to cater to that. And yes, a lot of it is really tasty. Um, But with a whole food plant-based diet, the focus rather than on simply not eating animal products is really on eating as unprocessed as possible. And, you know, a big variety of plant foods, you're trying to eat plant foods in as minimally processed uh, fashion as you can. So as close to nature as it comes. And so in doing so, the idea is you get a lot more fiber, which has, you know, an unending list of benefits for your body. Um, You're getting a lot more nutrients, which your body needs, and you're getting all kinds of beneficial plant compounds, antioxidants, polyphenols, and all kinds of things that do amazing things for your body and fight inflammation and really help you to heal. And can you talk a little bit about um, the oil content on whole food plant-based diet? Yeah, it's it's funny because there's a lot of people out there that say they eat a whole food plant-based diet or a plant-based diet. And I always say it's kind of, there's degrees. So some people say they eat a whole food plant-based diet and still eat a small amount of meat. Um, for my family, really? 
Yeah, I have heard that. And people, I've heard a lot of people say, well, plant-based diet doesn't mean you don't eat meat. Well, for my family, that is what, that is what it means for us because we're trying to avoid the cancer risk and the disease risk and all of that. So we don't have any animal products at all. But, but, uh, many of us also choose to exclude oil. And there's a few reasons for that. Um, one of which being that it's not a whole food. So if you take an olive or, you know, any other food that oil is made from, it's highly, highly processed uh, to get that oil out of it. So there's no longer any fiber or water left. Um, there's no longer any nutrients left. You basically have a fat extract uh, with very little nutritional value beyond that. Um, and second reason it, the second reason is um, it actually damages the endothelial cells in your arteries. So if we think of our arteries, let's say as a garden hose, okay? So the, endo the endothelial cells make up a layer that kind of coats the inside of that garden hose. And what happens when we damage those is suddenly um, they're not able to expand and contract as well to control blood flow and control things like our blood pressure. So that becomes really important because when you sit down and you eat a high fat meal, blood flow actually starts to get really, really sluggish. So if your arteries can't dilate to improve blood flow and get more blood going around your body, your cells aren't getting as much oxygen. And that explains why a lot of people feel tired and heavy after a big meal. Um, and then the third main reason why we avoid oil is the calorie density. So uh, oil is the most calorie-dense food there is. It comes in at around 4,000 calories per pound. Wow. So if we want to compare that to non-starchy vegetables, you can eat a pound of non-starchy vegetables, and it's only about 100 calories. Oh, wait, 4,000 compared to 100? Per pound, yes. So. That's and now some people go, well, I'm not going to use a pound of olive oil. And I get it. No one really does in one sitting. But say you take that pound of vegetables and you want to saute them for a stir fry. And you do a couple glugs of oil into your pan to saute them. Well, even just one tablespoon, which most people use more of, yeah. uh, one tablespoon of oil comes in around 120 calories and 14 to 15 grams of fat. And now you compare that to the vegetables you're sauteing, which are about 100 calories and minimal under a gram of fat. So suddenly what was a very light dish is suddenly a lot higher in calories and a lot higher in fat than you planned. Yeah. And sometimes you cook if like I remember before I well, even when I first went vegan, I wasn't close to whole food plant-based diet and I used oil with every meal and I put like two tablespoons of coconut oil and every single thing. And now that you say that, that's like at least six tablespoons a day. That's like an extra, I'm gonna do bad math here, but like 600, 800 calories just in oil. It adds up really fast. That's why, you know, when I see people complain that, oh, I'm going plant-based, but I can't lose any weight or I'm gaining weight. A lot of times it's because they're hanging on to that oil or, you know, in general, they're adding a lot of fat to their diet through avocados or oils or things like that. and those calories add up really fast. Yeah, and any of the snack food has a lot of oil in it too. 
Yes. <laughs> and I, I actually noticed such a difference when I cut the oil out and now I just use water instead to fry my food and my skin got so much better. And then since I did that, my weight has stayed pretty much the same for four years, whereas before it would like fluctuate up and down quite a bit. Yeah. And I find it tastes better too. Like now, if, if we go out to a restaurant and I mean, we eat oil free at home, but when we go out, you know, I try to be flexible. I'm not going to you know, one meal, I figure one meal once in a while is not going to hurt me. So, you know, if we do go out and we have something at a restaurant, and I I can usually tell if they've used a lot of oil, because it just doesn't even taste the same. It tastes kind of, flavors are almost dulled by all the extra fat. And it's just, it doesn't, it's not enjoyable. Yeah, it takes a while to like notice that. But I'm like that too. Like I eat mostly at home. Like I eat at home most of the time, but I still do like to go out and oil's kind of hard to avoid when you go out. Like you can ask them to make something gluten-free and dairy-free, but if you're like, go oil-free, they look at you like. Come on, right? (laughs) Yeah, but you do feel sluggish and I feel kind of sick after. And it's crazy to think that because before I used to focus on like that low-carb, super high, high high-fat diet, but Mm -hmm. it didn't work for my health. My health totally changed when I went the opposite direction. Yeah, and a lot of people do find that, right? Yeah, and I guess it's just like what we were talking about, the pleasure trap. You have to just go those couple of weeks without it to be able to notice. Yeah, I know a lot of people are like, oh, I could never eat that low fat. And it's like, you get used to it. I mean, at first, you're definitely going to feel, you're definitely, you're you're in tune to crave it a little bit more because your brain is going to realize I'm not getting as much fat as I used to. Yeah. Um, but that's where the carbs come in. And so it's not as worried about you not getting as much fat when you're still bringing in a nice parade of carbs for energy and it's getting what it needs. And eventually, you know, your taste buds adjust and you're not missing the extra fat anymore. Yeah. And then you definitely just have to make sure you're eating enough because I do find I've met quite a few people that have tried to go uh, vegan and then they said that they just got too skinny and they're tired all the time. But you have to, yeah, you have to be eating enough calories because like we said plant food is like lowering calories so sometimes your portions have to be like quite a bit quite a bit bigger and you have to eat more than salads like lots of people are like what do you eat just salad I'm like no so much (laughs) yes and even the salads are not the same like you know a salad that I'd make before but plant-based was pretty sad compared to what I make now right like there's there's more to a salad than iceberg lettuce, cucumber slices, and tomato, right? <laughs> yeah. Pour some white vinegar on there. <laughs> yeah, and call it good. Like, no. <laughs> Not even close. So now it's like salads. My salads, I usually either throw some beans or lentils in there, often some grains or quinoa as well. And that really helps to fill it out. Or even uh, roasted sweet potato. Oh, I love roasted sweet potato in my salads. Yeah, roasted sweet potatoes, so good. And then what would you put on for a dressing? Because that, that's the, what I find is complicated for a lot of people, including myself, when I first started, because I didn't know how to cook. And I'm like, how am I supposed to, like, dress my salads or, like, flavor my food? Because you do have to make some of your own sauce. Well, you have to make most of your own sauces. They do have some that are oil-free and refined sugar-free, but I find they tend to be quite expensive. So they're, like, like treats almost, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do. Um, I do make a lot of my own dressings. And, you know, the nice thing is with a blender, it usually doesn't take very long, five minutes and you've got a delicious dressing. Um, yeah. 
tahini, you know, something even simpler, if you don't want to use a blender, tahini makes a great base. Uh, for those who don't know, tahini is um, crushed sesame seeds or uh, ground up uh, sesame seeds uh, into a paste. And you can use that and then you can add all kinds of herbs and spices that you might like, a little bit of lemon juice or vinegar for a little zing and you know you can make something quite nice just with something simple like tahini yeah tahini definitely became like one of my staples when i went plant-based one of the staples i'd never heard of before me too <laughs> yeah i had no idea what it was yeah and it's so versatile too because you can use it for dressings but you can also use it in like your baking and things like that for sure yeah and a lot of my baking we just swap out you know, if the recipe calls for butter, I use nut butter. So if I want a peanut butter flavor in there, I use peanut butter. Or if not, I can use something like almond butter or cashew butter or tea. Yeah, lots of simple swaps. And your website has so much information on how to do things like that and so many good recipes. Oh, thank you. Yes, that's, that's really what I aim for is I'm trying to make it as easy as possible because I know I was overwhelmed in the beginning and it's perfectly normal to be overwhelmed. So I really try hard to cut through that and just make it as simple as possible. Yeah, because yeah, at first, you don't, when you first kind of transfer over, you feel like you have to buy all this new stuff. But yeah. if you ease into it, it just becomes your normal new things you're purchasing. Like the, um, on your website, I saw a chive spread and I've never thought of that. And I never really use spreads because they're expensive to buy. And I like once in a while, I'll make my own. But I saw that one on your website that you put on your um, toast. And I think oh, it's made yeah. from sunflower seeds. I was like, this is so smart. Like, you just discover new stuff all the time when you go plant-based. <laughs> yeah, the garlic and chive cream cheese. Yes, mm -hmm. you, can use ca you can make stuff like that with cashews too. But I made it with um, sunflower seeds because, you know, my girl, well, before the pandemic, my girls were in school and it's a nut-free school here in Ontario. So yeah. um, it's important to make those swaps. And a lot of times it's as simple for me as, you know, if I make something that they're going to take to school, I swap, you know, sunflower seeds in place of whatever nut I'd be using. That's so smart. And I think sunflower seeds are less expensive than cashews because cashews sure. can be a little bit pricey if you're using them all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, really, you can use a lot of that stuff. Is, a lot of those recipes are really forgiving. So it doesn't even have to be cashews. I think they kind of, they go to cashews because they're very mild in flavor. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you can use almost any nut in place of any nut or seed really in place of cashews if needed. Yeah, that's smart. Like almonds. Peanuts would really change the flavor. But... For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like <laughs> even like a, if you're making like a faux Parmesan, um, I, a lot of recipes call for, you know, um, cashews in that. We actually use walnuts. Can you walk us through step by step how to do it? Because I've never made um, vegan Parmesan and I'm going to do it after this. <laughs> Okay. Basically, it's, you know, start with a cup of nuts. So I use walnuts. Um, and then you want to add, I'm trying to think of measurements now, you caught me on the spot, but generally about a, a teaspoon or so of garlic powder. And then probably a tablespoon, you can play with that measurement, but a, ta a tablespoon or two of nutritional yeast. And you just pulse it up in your food processor until it's kind of fine crumbs. You don't want to go overboard or you will end up with a paste which will yeah. not work 
once you've got that fine crumb and it's great for um, sprinkling over pasta, I know my youngest absolutely loves it. Oh, that sounds so easy. Like, I'm like, why haven't I made that before? I'm going to do it now. And it lasts for a while in the fridge. So just put it in a, you know, in a mason jar or in an airtight container in your fridge and it'll last for probably a month or more. Oh my God, that, that's actually so long. Yeah, not that it ever lasts that long in my house. Um, yeah, because you eat it because you're so excited. But like that, that's really good, especially if you're um, only one person. Then at yeah. least, you know, if you make a big, because it's, it's nice when you make a bigger batch because then you don't have to do it again. But if it keeps that long. Yeah, it keeps for a while. So, you know what I mean? As long as you keep it refrigerated so the fats and the uh, nuts don't go rancid. Paul, I was actually going to ask you about um, like when you're eating or planning your meals, do you think about like the macronutrient ratio, like fats to proteins to carbs? I know we talked about eating lower fat, but do you want to talk about a little bit about protein? Because I know protein is like the focus for most people and they always think they're not going to like, they always think vegans don't get enough. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, well, when it comes to protein, I think a lot of that comes into just in the past, we've been told that we need all of this protein to, you know, grow strong muscles and keep your body moving, working, but we don't actually need nearly as much protein as they, you know, used to say you do. And I think a recent documentary, uh, The Game Changers, really went into that in detail and really debunked that myth, which is fantastic. Um, but when it comes to ratios, I keep them in mind, but I have to say, I don't weigh and measure my food. I think it would make me crazy and yeah. I really don't want to be obsessive about it. So I yeah. keep them in mind. And um, usually what I'm aiming for is when we look at a lot of the studies on disease reversal and disease avoidance, they're usually using something close to an 80-10-10. So about 80% of calories coming from carbohydrates, 10% coming from protein, and 10% coming from fat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm trying to measure every meal and stay within that, I'd drive myself crazy. Oh, it, it would be so hard. I don't know how bodybuilders do it. <laughs> so, but what I do is, for me, a really easy way to kind of get into that range or stay close to that range is by looking at my meal composition. So if I put down a plate, what I'm generally aiming for is for half of that plate or half of my serving to be either non-starchy vegetables or fruit. And then I'm looking for about a quarter to be legumes. So beans, lentils, tofu, tempeh, edamame, something like that. Um, and then the remaining quarter as either a starchy vegetable like potatoes, sweet potatoes, or a whole grain. And then fat I use as a condiment. So fat would be either maybe you throw some seeds on top or a nut-based dressing, something like that. So for me, I find if I look, if I aim for that composition, I'm getting really close to that 80-10-10 that I'm aiming for. And that's what I've really broken down on. I've really broken that down in the uh, meal building tool on my website. So trying to make it easy, right? Because yeah. a lot of people go plant-based, they're overwhelmed. They don't even know, you don't even know what a plant-based meal is supposed to look like because usually meat is at the center of your plate. Yeah. So I created this tool where basically all you have to do is the proportions are kind of lined out for you. And all you do is you pick from a few different columns, throw together a meal, and you've got something nutritionally balanced, something that's going to satisfy you and keep you full. And, you know, something that's, really healthy and good for you. 
So that can be found at my website, um, mentalforlentils.com, or I've got a bit.ly link, uh, bit.ly slash plant-based meal. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually downloaded it the other day and looked at it. And I'm like, this is such a good building block for learning how to make plant-based meals. And I'll put links in the show notes so people can go and download that as well. Thank you. It's cool because once you do that after a little while, it just becomes second nature. So they can use your meal planner to like learn how to do it. And then they'll just kind of get used to the pattern of building their meals like that. Absolutely. Yep. Um, Paula, do you want to do a quick little, I know we talked a lot about what we eat, but like a quick little overview of your like fridge and pantry staples. Sure. Um, okay. Well, my pantry, I like to try and keep, um, whole grains on hand. So before I do this, I'll kind of just a disclaimer here. I tend to keep more on hand than most people would because I develop recipes. So you do not need to have this as much variety as, you know, I tend to keep. And I think a pantry should really reflect um, what foods you like. So just because someone else, you know, likes quinoa, if you can't stand quinoa, then don't worry about quinoa. Have a different grain. (laughs) But um, yeah, I like to keep whole grains on hand. So typically for my family, that means steel cut oats. Um, I also keep rolled, we like those for breakfast and then we also, uh, like rolled oats for baking and using in other things, or I'll mill my own, um, oat flour out of it. Um, and then we also like stuff like, uh, rice, uh, brown, black, or red rice are usually our favorites. And, um, quinoa, bulgur wheat is a really good, bulgur wheat is actually a really good, replacement for meat in a lot of things so if you season like if you um simmer up some bulgur wheat and season it really well you can throw that into a tomato sauce and the texture is just like ground beef in fact i fed it to people who weren't vegan and they did not know the difference that's so so crazy i've tried it once i tried it before i think it was one of my last few meals before i realized i was allergic to gluten and oh yeah <laughs> I had it in like a mushroom dish and it was like the texture was really good the texture and the taste but yes if you're allergic to gluten or sensitive to gluten not the best option for you yeah but lots of people aren't so that's yeah good absolutely <laughs> and lots of people wouldn't have heard of that either and is it fairly reasonably like reasonably priced oh yeah it's actually pretty economical a lot of the staples are it's not because it's not been dubbed as a superfood yet. Yeah. So, uh, so it's still pretty economical to get at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we do some whole grains and things like that. Uh, I also always keep potatoes and sweet potatoes in my pantry because those make uh, a great base for a quick and easy meal if you're running short on time. They're really satiating. And so, you know, throw some beans and salsa on top of a potato and you've got a decently balanced meal there. So for baking supplies for us, you know, the typical, uh, we love to use oat flour or whole wheat flour because we're not uh, sensitive to gluten. Um, I also like to keep dates and date sugar on hand. And that's basically what I use instead of sugar. So if I'm making anything, really, I don't use white sugar at all anymore. I'll either blend up some dates or I have purchased um, powdered date sugar, which is just powdered dates. And that works as a perfect um, alternative to any dry sweetener in a recipe. Where do you get that from? Um, hard to necessarily find in the store. I tend to order off Amazon <laughs> or 
or online, like any, you know, wellness store, you know, usually has it. Yeah, I've never seen it in stores here. And I use dates, but some, like, if I'm using them to sweeten, like, when I have matcha, I'll heat them, like, I'll heat everything up in a pot and then blend it. But sometimes I don't want to have to, like, use a blender and blend my whole drink together. But I never thought about getting, well, I didn't really know powdered dates was a thing. (laughs) I've seen chopped dates, but. Well, you can also make date syrup, which would be good for stirring into warm beverages, right? And you can make that yourself. I've got a quickie recipe on the blog for that. But it's basically just dates, water, and I put in, a, you know, a teaspoon of lemon juice just to keep it from spoiling quickly. Oh, that's a good idea. And then it's, you know, it's already kind of in a liquid form. You can just stir it into your coffee. Okay, I'm going to try that. I'm going to have so many things to try after this podcast. <laughs> Anyway, you're always learning, right? Like I've been plant-based for almost four years and I learn new every day. (laughs) For sure. I mean, everyone does it a little bit differently. And, you know, there's some beauty in that because, you know, I'm still constantly learning from others that are doing it and it's it's great. Yeah. Um, Oh, I just wanted to mention quickly, there's another baking supply that I like to keep on hand, um, which is chickpea flour. You can, again, make your own from dried chickpeas dried chickpeas sorry but uh chickpea flour is great for especially with little kids if you're worried about they're not getting enough protein that's an easy way to add some protein to a baked good so you can sub usually about a quarter of the flour that's called for as chickpea flour and you don't even notice so my kids don't realize that like the pancakes I make them have like chickpea flour and like sweet potatoes and like kale in there they don't know that's so smart yeah so that's uh that's the baking supplies um and then I do stuff like you know we always keep veggie broth or bouillon on hand because I use that obviously in soups and stews and dressings and stuff like that but also um for an oil-free saute sometimes instead of using water if you want to add a little flavor it can be really uh, nice to just use a little bit of veggie broth mm-hmm. that adds some flavor. Um, and then, you know, the typical stuff, I mean, when it comes to the fridge, we've got, you know, lots of fresh fruit and veg. I also like to keep frozen fruit and veg as well. Oh, and things like tofu and tempeh. And I'll often keep extra tofu in the freezer. Um, I don't know if that's something, is that something you do as well? No, I'm just like, what, another idea. Yeah. To- use it in the freezer for like in your smoothies well no what I do with tofu well a it's great because when you see tofu go on sale you can grab more than you need and pop the rest in the freezer but the nice thing is when you freeze tofu and then thaw it it actually it makes it a little firmer and once it's thawed rather than pressing the block you can actually pick it up and squeeze the water out oh I didn't know that so when I have to press the tofu I don't do it because just an, an extra step I've done it twice I just shake it and I'm like this would probably work better if I did the whole putting heavy stuff and pressing the water out but now I know I can just put it in the freezer yeah so you want to thaw it first but yeah then you can just squeeze the squeeze the excess water out of it with your hands and then it's really easy to crumble up for like a tofu scramble or we'll often kind of marinate it a little bit and bake it for like a faux you know, ground beef kind of thing. 
Yeah, tofu is so good. It's so versatile. I used to hate it. I thought that tofu was just like, I think I got it at a restaurant once and I had soft tofu on a scramble, oh. really soft. And so in my head, that's what tofu was, this like soft, mushy thing. But it actually comes in so many different textures and you can do so many different things with each kind of tofu. For sure. Yeah, I've got a guide up on that. But often I find uh, if someone tells me that they're trying tofu for the first time, I usually tell them to go firm or extra firm. Yeah. Uh, you know, as you get used to it, you know, I know a lot of people like medium and stuff like that. But I think you kind of have to get used to the water content. And it depends what you're using it for. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, soft or silken tofu is great to add, you know, some protein to a smoothie or to make like a nice mousse or sauce. But uh, definitely when it comes, if, if you're a first timer, definitely go firm or extra firm to start. Firm tofu and put some seasoning on it because it it kind of tastes like what you put on it. Well, exactly. It's pretty neutral. And I know you skip the, uh, I know you skip the pressing step, but when you do press it, it allows it to absorb more of the flavor. Um, Yeah. So when you press it, a lot of the water comes out and then it's kind of like a sponge and it'll absorb that marinade. Another, uh, I haven't marinated mine before. I usually just um, cut it up and like batter it with nutritional yeast and put it in the air fryer or bake it. But I was wondering how you got the flavor to stick when you put it in, when you marinated it. But now I understand because you squeeze some of the water out. So it, like will absorb some of the water in your marinade, right? Yes, as long as you don't use oil. Because if you coat it with oil, it keeps it from being able to absorb as well. So another thing I always suggest is, even if you do still use oil in your kitchen, don't put oil in the marinade for tofu because it just, it won't be as flavorful. Okay, that makes lots of sense. Yes, so beyond tofu and tempeh in the fridge, uh, we've also usually got plant milk there. Um, I think oat milk is actually really popular, is gaining in popularity, and it's great for coffee or even cereal if you like cereal in your milk because it's a little, it has a little bit of a sweetness to it. And then I also keep soy milk on hand. And for me, that's a that's a choice I make because um, because the health benefits and reducing uh, reproductive cancer risk for both men and women. There are studies out there that say the more soy or, you know, people who eat more soy in their diet um, have lower rates of female reproductive cancers, lower rates of prostate cancer as well. So for me, that makes soy kind of my go-to besides oat milk. Okay, that is really interesting because for so long, remember, everybody was so anti-soy because they thought that it was making them have high estrogen and high cancer. And then, yeah, in in a couple, like the last recent years has become like, more well known that you can actually eat soy. I was excited about that because I stopped eating soy when I was 15 because of that reason. And then I started four years ago and I'm like, I can't believe we've been misinformed all of these years. Well, headlines sell, right? So it's so true. There's a lot of information out there that, I mean, really and truly, you have to be, you have to think critically about the information presented to you. And more often than not, dig into the research behind that, you know, rather than just taking someone at their word. Mm-hmm. There's a really good, um, have you heard of Plant Proof before? Yes, yep. He's really good at like dissecting the science and he has like a bunch of blogs on his website and his podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like because I'm like, it's someone to do all the researching in it for you, which I guess you should do it yourself, but he's like a really trusted source. And so many things become clear by listening to his podcast or checking out his blogs and those kind of things. 
which is great because I think a lot of times, you know, I aim for I aim for the same thing when I talk about something, you know, a little bit more sciencey is I really try to aim to make it understandable because I mean it can be very overwhelming, especially if you don't have a science background, trying to read through a clinical study is, you know, enough to do your head in. But but, you know, when people can take those take take that information and really simplify it and make it easy to understand then, you know, a lot of people kind of go, oh, okay. And it, it suddenly makes sense and the light bulb goes off, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then when they have a source they can trust, so like I go to your website and I know that you've done your research and then you're explaining it to me. So if I don't want to spend all the time going through all of the articles, because sometimes it can leave you pretty confused. Yeah. Sometimes you walk away more confused than when you started, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if we're we're still on fridge and freezer, I think. So beyond, you know, we've got lots of fresh and frozen fruit and vegetables, plant milk. Um, I also love to freeze bananas. So I I was telling Stormy this before, but I will purposely go and buy, you know, two to three, sometimes even four bunches of bananas at once so that, you know, there'll be some left after my fruit loving kids, you know, eat them, that there'll be some ripe ones left. And we freeze them and throw them into smoothies. You can make them into ice cream um, or milkshakes, etc. So that's always, I've always got frozen bananas in my freezer. And they're awesome in the summer. Uh, I also do, um, our natural nut butters will be in the fridge. So again, that's, that's an easy swap that anyone can make who's wanting to eat healthier, um, even if it's not completely whole food plant-based or completely plant-based um, is switch to a natural peanut butter or a natural nut butter in general. You know what I mean? A lot of times, you know, your typical Skippy brand or whatnot will have a lot of added sugar. Will have And added oil sometimes, right? Yeah, which is crazy yeah. to me because if you look at how much oil is in, you know, a natural nut butter, I look at it and go, how do they add more? But they do oils and emulsifiers. I was comparing one day I was at the grocery store and it just, you know, just for shits and giggles, I turned around a bunch of different brands of peanut butter and read the labels. And I was shocked, you know, some of them had three different types of oil added. And I'm like, what? It's so weird. And people would never even think to check that, right? Like until you start being more aware and checking your ingredients, you're just like, it's peanut butter. Like you wouldn't think yeah. some of them have icing sugar added to it. Yeah, and those are usually the more popular brands because, boy, do those taste good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. Nothing like icing sugar to sweeten the pot. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, natural nut butters is uh, always a good one. I think we talked about tahini and kind of the stuff that that can be used for and, you know, uh, swapping out nut butters for butter and baking. Um, yeah, and another thing that I like to keep that I always have is, you know, nuts and seeds and more specifically the seeds um is kind of daily use so I like to keep things like black seeds chia seeds hemp seeds and walnuts for the omega-3 fats mm-hmm. that kind of gets us our omega-3s in a day um just making sure obviously that the black seeds are ground or broken down before you add them to anything otherwise they just kind of go right through you and you don't really get the benefits um, but other nuts and seeds too, I like to like, especially nuts that we don't go through a lot of, um, I'll keep the whole bag in the freezer and that helps keep, uh, the fats from going rancid. So they'll last a lot longer for you and 
nuts tend to be on the expensive side anyway. So if you can keep them from going bad, you know, you're saving money that way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds or pepitas are great, a uh, great source of iron. So especially for women around that time of the month, snack on some pumpkin seeds, maybe with your dark chocolate and you're a happy camper. <laughs> nice. Yeah, pumpkin seeds are good. And they're supposed to be like really good at like, I know they give them to cats and dogs for parasites. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. it's probably good to eat them as an adult anyways. Well, for sure. It's one of those kind of those high iron foods that I always aim for, you know, just to make sure, you know, especially around that time in the month to make sure that you're getting enough iron to make up for what you're losing. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never really thought about that. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things. It was actually... As I started doing more research and looking into nutrients, you know what I mean? I know that a lot of people talk about iron as something that they have trouble with or something that people can have trouble with. Mm-hmm. So always important to make sure that you're aware of your iron-rich foods and where possible, um, pair them with high vitamin C food to increase your absorption. Yeah. So smoothie bowls, perfect. You have a smoothie bowl, you put your pumpkin seeds on top. Yes. You grow your fruit and then you get your pumpkin seeds and your toffees. Perfect. Paula, how old were your kids when you decided to go um, whole food plant-based? My kids were about nine and five when we started the transition. How did did that go? You know what? After all is said and done, it went fairly well. Um, My youngest was my youngest has always been pretty particular about her food, though, especially especially texture was always a big thing for her. Yeah. So we just tried to take it slow with her and keep it as stress-free as possible, um, you know, trying starting with easy swaps. So in the beginning, I think I mentioned, you know, we ate a lot of meat and, um, you know, processed foods as well. So in the beginning, I tried to make it as stress-free as possible. So we did easy switches. So chicken fingers for a little while anyway became, you know, soy nuggets or, you know, yeah. the processed vegan food. But milk was easily swapped out for plant milk. You know, there's yeah. lots of different kinds now. So you can kind of get them to try and see which ones they like the best, you know. And then adding a lot of fruit and vegetables. Um, you know, fruit is always an easy sell and trying to incorporate new vegetables and just getting those repeated tries in and over time it's like oh this isn't so bad anymore yeah so you kind of yeah you just you didn't make it all of a sudden she was just only eating plant-based food you kind of yeah I I took it slow with her especially you know at the time she was pretty young and you know picky as it was a little a little on the picky side as it was so it was kind of like I didn't want to I didn't want to make food become a huge battle in the house yeah well I would think that would be a little bit hard because when you're five and nine, you kind of have like what you like and what you don't like. And I interviewed a mom for my second podcast, but she, her kid was like three or four. Mm-hmm. So still kind of like learning about food when, when she switched him over and then her other one was just, she was born and then she was plant-based. And um, I uh, have a mom, a mom that I work with and she has three kids and she's just like, I don't even know how it would go about making them plant-based and they're between I think the ages of five and like 12 Mm -hmm. yeah it's I mean I think obviously the younger you can kind of introduce that stuff the easier it is Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think you know 
when they're old enough and they've kind of already got some of their tastes set and things that they like and they don't like, I think a big a, a big thing that helps is to get them involved as much as possible. So whether that is taking them shopping with you and letting them pick, you know, maybe a new vegetable or a new fruit to try or new foods that they are interested in trying um, or even going through cookbooks together and having them point out, you know, things that sound really good. I know we even went to, you know, I had some cookbooks when we first started that I'd purchased and I also, you know, took them to the library and we started, you know, meandering through a bunch of different cookbooks of, you know, vegan and plant-based meals just to try to get them to say, oh, that sounds good, or, oh, I would try that, right? The more you can get them involved, I think you really get that buy-in, and that's really important when they're young to avoid a lot of the struggle. Yeah, because then they feel like, yeah, they're a part of it, and they made that choice for that dinner that they're, like, you're making tonight. and Oh, yeah, and if they're old enough, get them to help you cook. Kids love to eat stuff that they cook. But what about like treats? Like, you know, when they want something that's like sweet and they're used to having like the regular cookies or yeah, how do you go about that? Because I know <laughs> even for me, that's where I fail and like not fail, but that's where I tend to eat more processes if like I want a cookie or you, you know what I mean? For sure. For sure. Um, it becomes hard to kind of, it's not necessarily something you can always pick up off the shelf. So, I mean, snacks here for sweet treats. I think I mentioned my kids love fruit. So that's, you know, that's always an easy sell. Um, I I also like to take them to the grocery store or the bulk store and let them kind of look through the bulk bins and pick items to make their own trail mix. And that's something they love. That sounds so fun. Right? And the nice thing is, you know, if one of them likes peanuts and one of them likes walnuts, oh, well, we buy both. And yeah. you get to make your own and they get to, they usually pick some dried fruit and stuff to go in there. And sometimes there's a little bit of a treat like pretzel sticks or something. But, you know, generally speaking, those, you know, they're all whole foods that are going into whole or minimally processed foods that are going into those trail mixes. Yeah. Um, and I also, I do a lot of baking where I, now my, my oldest daughter is getting older. She's nearly 14 now and she's starting to do some baking as well. They're getting interested in doing things in the kitchen so I mean I make cookies that are made from beans and no one seems to care or notice that the beans are in there but I certainly feel good about them eating them yeah yeah definitely my favorite cookie is made from chickpeas yes chickpeas are awesome in cookies they give you that nice kind of like soft baked almost like fudgy texture yeah yeah totally so I thought, oh, and I made them last time. My fiance is like wow these are so gooey in the inside I'm like I know it's weird they look crunchy on the outside and then you bite in and it's like you said, similar to that um, cookie texture. So good, yeah. Do you find that um, the kids have a hard time when they go to other people's houses? Yeah, it can be tough. Um, and I, I kind of go about it this way. Um, they are kids. They've got to grow up. And to me, for them to take this into their future, it has to be their decision. Yeah. So they don't have an option at home because we don't buy any animal products. There's nothing here that they can have that has animal products in it um you know they want ice cream I usually make nice cream you know out of frozen fruit frozen bananas stuff like that but you know while she can have it here that's not really an option at her friend's house so yeah the way my daughter does it now um you know we kind of discussed it and decide you know I said to her this is it's got to be what feels good to you 
So she avoids it to, you know, as best she can. So she'll avoid meat. That's really easy to avoid. Um, yeah. Eating at someone else's house, she'll just not eat the meat and eat the sides if she's staying for dinner kind of thing. But she does not, um, she doesn't scrutinize ingredients labels, that's for sure. And, you know, she's a kid. So if they're, yeah. if they're offering her ice cream or something, you know, she's hard pressed to say no. I do just remind her that because we don't eat dairy at home, there's a very good chance that her tolerance for dairy is pretty low. So I always wonder if you're having something that you know has dairy at someone else's house, go easy. Otherwise, you're going to get a really sore tummy. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but I find as, you know, as she's getting older and getting a little bit more confident in her decisions, she's even she's avoiding that stuff too. So I know the last time she was at a friend's house, um, they pulled out ice cream uh, to go. It was a birthday party. So they pulled out ice cream to go with um, cake or whatnot. And she opted out of the ice cream. And so the mom kind of said, oh, I have some fruit popsicles. Would you like one of those instead? Yeah. So she had one of those instead and she felt really good about it. So she felt yeah. like she wasn't being annoying, but she was still having her needs met. So that was That's a good awesome. experience for her. Yeah. And then after like a while, the I'm sure the parents kind of get used, used to it when she comes over. Like I know when I first went plant-based and I go to other people's houses, they would be like so confused. But then after a while, they kind of get excited. Like, oh, you're coming over. Oh, look, I got this thing that's vegan. Can you have this? Kind of. Yeah, amazing yeah yeah it's nice I mean at first I think there was the first time she went to someone's house um after and she had mentioned to her friend that she eats vegan or she eats plant-based I got a you know I got a phone call from mom what do I feed her yeah so and I had to just kind of assure her that you know she'll do her own you know she'll make her own decisions you know she's just to let you know she's going to avoid you know she'll definitely avoid the meat um but, you know, things like, you know, spaghetti sauce without meat in it is perfectly fine, you know. So she'll have yeah. pasta, you know. I think one time she did have spaghetti at a friend's house and they made spaghetti and meatballs. So she yeah. just had hers without the meatballs. Yeah. Because, yeah, at first – and then at first if you kind of – um you meet someone new and you kind of are eating it, they could get used to it. But I find, yeah, as you kind of make your own decision, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand. And, like, they respect it. Yeah, I think that helps. It helps not only them, you know, I, I'm quite sure that there are some parents out there that probably think that we forced this on her, but, yeah. you know, kind of reassuring them that she'll make her own decisions and, you know, she'll tell you what she, you know, what she will and won't, you know, partake in. So, yeah. and it helps her build her confidence too. Yeah, definitely. I was wondering, can you tell us, do you have any like prepping tips for when you're like cooking for a family? Kind of like like batching or you were telling me earlier how you would cook like a bunch of roasted garlic for your just like good tips because I just cook for me and my fiance so it's pretty easy to like throw together all of our meals without prepping much in advance but I imagine having a family you have a lot of things happening all the time and clubs and activities and you know you're busy <laughs> for sure for sure um, and that's where really batch cooking can save you so if you've got a busy family life at home Batch cooking is really, really helpful. It's nice to know at the end of a busy day that, hey, I've got a meal in my fridge that all I've got to do is heat and serve it. Um, but even, you know, and I do have, I should mention, I do have a guide that can help with that, um, a planning guide that can help you kind of, 
make the most of your batch cooking session and save the most money. That's also available on my website um, or a bit.ly link for that is bit.ly slash batch cooking planner. Um, but yeah, it, even, even if you don't want to batch cook whole meals, which some people don't, some people are like, I hate leftovers. I don't want to eat the same thing all the time. That's perfectly fine. Even if you batch components to a meal, I think that can be really helpful. So oftentimes I'll do something like I'll choose a grain for the week and I'll choose a bean for the week or a, or a lentil, like a legume for the week. And I'll prep a batch of each on the weekend. And then those can be turned into so many different meals. So if you're, say it's rice, you know, you can turn that into, you can have that in a nourish bowl, you can have that in a stir fry, you can have that in a soup, you can have that, you know, so many different ways, throw it in a burrito, in a wrap, whatever. Um, so many different ways. So I find if I can start the week with a grain, a bean, a salad dressing, and usually a batch of hummus, I can have quick and easy meals all week long. I can turn those into so many different things. So you say that's such a smart idea. And batching, like hummus, when you make it on your own, is actually quite simple and way cheaper. Yes. Yeah. And it's, I find it really hard to find oil-free hummus here still. I know there are some yeah. oil-free brands available in the U.S., but unfortunately, I haven't found it at my grocery store yet. So we still make, make ours at home as often as possible. Um, but it's really easy. You know what I mean? It's a five minute process in the blend, in a good blender or food processor. And yeah. you know, it'll last all week. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good because like you can even put it, sometimes I'll even mix it like a scoop of it with vinegar to make a salad dressing later in the week. If I had, yes. don't have one prepped. Yeah. You can do so much with hummus. You can even turn it into like a pasta sauce. You can kind of thin it down with a little bit of plant milk and, you know, add some seasoning if you like and heat it up and you can use it as like a, almost like a creamy Alfredo or like a cr creamy pasta yeah, sauce. That would be so good and quick. And super healthy for you, right? You don't have to feel bad about it. I know when people ask what I eat, I'm like, oh, I eat, well, I eat a lot of rice-based pastas, but if I could eat gluten, I'd eat like whole wheat pasta because people think pasta is not good for you. And I'm like, no, eat the healthy whole grains and it's filling yeah. and it's delicious. And like you said, you can just use like hummus or you can even, I learned um, putting a can of white beans and like just even blending that with some garlic and putting that as your sauce. And then yeah. you, even your sauce is healthy. Like it's not full of oil. It's not full of fat. doesn't have milk in it. For sure. Absolutely. It's just not as easy for people when they first start because they don't sell that in a can at the grocery store, you know, like labeled white bean pasta sauce. You just have yeah. to kind of figure it out and then and then it becomes a little bit easier. Well, yeah. And I mean, that's one thing. It's like one of the overwhelming parts of going plant based is that you do, you know, it's it's a new type of cooking almost. Mm -hmm. So not only are you making new recipes and working with new ingredients a lot of the time, but, you know, you're, you're picking up new tips and tricks and things to do as you go. So which is always nice, right? You pick up that trick of using a can of white beans and, you know, suddenly that's, you know, an emergency meal right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's even faster than using red sauce. For sure. Yeah, quick blend and you're good to go. And the nice thing, you know, especially if people are worried about pasta, I mean, as you said, the whole grains are always better. And now you can even get 
uh, pastas made from like chickpeas and legumes mm-hmm. so I've seen like black bean pasta and red lentil pasta and they're all quite nice as long as you cook them according to the directions because if you yeah. o- I find if you overcook um, any of those legume pastas it quickly becomes mush but definitely. Uh, so you definitely cook them a little less than you would your typical spaghetti or your typical pasta but they're so good and they're so full of nutrients I mean there's nothing to complain about there that reminds me, I have some red lentil pasta I haven't tried. I picked it up when I was um, in the States at Trader Joe's. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'm going to try that. We actually recently found that uh, Costco has started to carry, um, they used to carry a red lentil. I mean, they rotate, right? They yeah. don't always have the same stuff. But I've previously found red lentil pasta there, and I most recently found chickpea pasta there. Oh, I've had chickpea pasta from there, but it was a while ago. But Costco is so amazing for finding new plant-based stuff. Yeah, I found, um, I found, uh, it was, I know it was available in the U.S., but I'd never seen it here. It was a plant-based queso sauce, and I think the main ingredient was cauliflower. Wow. And I came across it in Costco once, and we bought a tough to try, and we all loved it, and the next time we went, I could not find it. And I was oh, sad. No. I was sad because it didn't even have oil in it. So it was like wow. every ingredient. I was like, they're ingredients that you'd find in your own kitchen. So I was like, no, come back. Aww. But uh, hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. I find I like every once in a while when I go to Costco, I'll walk down like every aisle and look at everything because they do often get new things like that. And like one time I had, they were like, green peas they were like in the freezer section but they were like not green peas but like young chickpeas that were green and you would bake them and they go so crispy and they're so delicious oh wow um I haven't seen them again but my next question for you is going to be like how do you keep your your grocery expense down and Costco is actually such a good place especially for families because they have like their frozen do you get your frozen fruit there yes absolutely so cheap and it's organic. You can buy the organic one there too, and it's not very expensive. Yeah, I find the organic version of their frozen fruit is often around the same price as I would buy it in a regular grocery store for conventional. So it's like getting organic for free, which is awesome. Yes, uh, especially those berries, right? But yeah, so uh, club stores like Costco work really well. Um, I think you know one of the main things too is. Avoiding those processed foods because those are what usually breaks the budget. Those are, you know, tend to be really expensive. I mean, you know, even things like Beyond Burgers, you know, they might be nice to try once in a while, but I mean, generally you're paying what, eight to eight or nine dollars for two. That, that can be pretty pricey pretty quickly, especially for a family. So the more you stick to whole foods, the cheaper your groceries are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another really great way to save on your groceries is to plan your meals for the week. I know a lot of people don't like to plan and they like to kind of, <laughs> you know, run by the seat of their pants or what they feel like at the moment. But I find even if you just have, you don't have to plan out every day, but even if you just have an idea of which dinners you're going to make that week, um, it saves you so much because A, you can go through your pantry and use up anything that's about to spoil um, or things that you've already got on hand. And second, you can also shop the flyer. 
So, you know, before I go to a grocery store, I always peek through the flyer, see what's on sale. And, you know, sometimes of year here, um, cauliflower is really expensive. And then other times you can get a giant head for like 99 cents or a buck 99. So when it's on cheap, that's a great week to say, oh, maybe I want to make collie wings or maybe I want to make, you know, roasted cauliflower for bowls or maybe I want to make cauliflower soup or you know what I mean? All kinds of things you can do with cauliflower, but kind of if you do that, you know, shop your pantry and then make your list, you're going to save a lot that way. That's such a good tip that I should follow because I, I literally go into the grocery store and I just look at the prices when I'm there and just kind of pick randomly. But like I said, it's just me and it would be such a good habit to, or it's just me and my fiance, but such a good habit to build for when I have to feed more than just me and my fiance. And then you don't even have to think about it, right? The, the like dinner time comes and you're like, this is what I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no, oh, what do you want tonight? Oh, I don't know. What do you want tonight? And you know what I mean? There's none of that, you know, even if you haven't set, set specifically what day you're having things, you've at least got a list of dinners. So you're just picking something off your list. Okay. So one time I was at a grocery store and I bought two heads of cauliflower. And this is before I looked at prices of groceries mm-hmm. and they went through and I was like why is my bill so much and I noticed after I'd paid that the cauliflower was seven dollars a head I was like what oh, like last wow. week it was like 250 and it just I don't know why cauliflower varies a lot but after that that's when I started like making sure I look at the prices of everything because I didn't realize that they fluctuate so much yeah and I was like this no you have to pay attention otherwise you end up with 14 dollars worth of cauliflower (laughs) well especially when it comes to seasonal fruit and vegetables you know that's another good way to save money is stick to stuff that's in season so i love berries um they're crazy helpful they've got all kinds of amazing you know vitamins nutrients antioxidants in them they're so good for you but in canada in the winter they're very expensive so yes yeah so in the winter we get by with frozen because i can't pay $7.99 for like a pint of strawberries I just can't and besides it's been trucked in from god knows where you know what I mean it's sat in a truck for how long and just it's not the same so and it doesn't taste good they don't taste no, good in the winter definitely not they're a lot more tart they're not even as deep a red you know what I mean they're kind of you bite into them and they're all white on the inside so the benefit of frozen fruit there is that they are frozen at peak freshness So you've got all of the nutrients that you would right when it's fresh, no nutrient loss while it's been in transit. And then, yeah, the texture is a little bit different um, when you thaw them. But, you know, oftentimes I'll take them and thaw them and then blend them into like a little strawberry or, you know, a little berry sauce. Mm -hmm. And I'll drizzle that over a bowl of oatmeal or drizzle that over... Yes, pancakes or even uh, toast with nut butter and drizzle that on instead of jam. Yum. Perfect. And it's made just from fruit. You don't have to feel guilty about that. That would be so good. I dream of bread all the time. I'm like, I wish I could eat it. Because it really is when you're first switching to plant-based, it's, you know, like if you eat bread, it's quite easy. Obviously, you should get healthy, healthy bread, not white bread. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's breakfast. That's lunch. You can make a sandwich. It's so easy. For sure. Yeah. The whole grain breads are great. So yeah, unfortunately, if you're, um, you know, if you're sensitive to gluten, you got to be careful about what kind of bread, bread products you pick 
And I know those tend to be pretty pricey too, the gluten-free breads. And yeah, not always avoid them. Yeah. Some of them tend to be a little more on the processed side or use a little more processed ingredients. So that's, that can be tough, but you know, there's a lot of people that just don't eat bread regularly. So you know, we get used to that, I suppose. Yeah, I use rice cakes. But I have been telling myself I need to find a good recipe um, just for like some mornings when I want to make a quick breakfast and I don't want to eat a rice cake or a smoothie bowl. Right. It'd be so good. Yeah. Or maybe like a maybe like a nice fruit muffin made with like oat flour or something or rolled oats. Yes, that's a good idea. Because I've made muffins with um, oat flour. Yeah, I guess I can't even have muffins for breakfast. There you go. Oat flour, banana, baking powder. Absolutely. Okay, this is my last question for you, Paula. Okay. What would be your best tips for people who are thinking about starting a plant-based diet? Like, where would you say they should start? Just like a a first step. Kind of what do you think is the best path? Um, Got a couple tips there. Um, One I would say is what's really important to stick to anything is you have to take some time and figure out your why, figure out your reason why you want to do this. And, you know, we alluded to this a little bit before, but you want to dig deep, you know, I want to fit into, you know, my skinny jeans is that might be a great reason. But it's not a reason that's going to keep you on the path, you want to dig deep. So for me, it became, you know, I wanted to improve my health for my girls. I wanted to be here for them. I didn't want them to lose me too soon to, you know, cancer or things like that. So it became, you know, that became my why. And coming to that reason was actually really emotional for me. And actually, you know, kind of coming to that realization made me tear up. And that's usually when you've hit a really good one, because that's a motivation that will drive you. So I think finding you know, finding the root of your motivation is really, really important and is a great way to keep on track. Um, And as far as, you know, starting to make the change, um, make a list. Start with foods that you already like that are plant-based. You know, there's lots of them, things like, you know, whole grain toast with nut butter or if you like oatmeal or you know, stuff like that. Jot down the stuff you already like and that you're already used to that's plant-based. Then add to that list meals and foods that you like that you only have to swap an ingredient or two to make them plant-based. So maybe that's making spaghetti with lentils instead of spaghetti with meat, meat sauce, right? Um, Stuff like that. And then between those two things on your list, you've got a nice little comfort zone to start with. And then you can start experimenting with recipes here and there. And as you find things you like, add them to your list. And before you know it, you're no longer struggling with meals to make. You've got a bunch of things that you can rotate through and that will keep you going. Um, Yeah, and then when it comes to resources and things like that, um, obviously, you know, I might be biased, but I think mental for lentils is a great resource. (laughs) Yes. No, it is. I looked at it and it has so much good information on there. Oh, you're you're so sweet. Um, I mean, so you do it like it helps you do a plant-based diet really healthfully from the start. It does help because, you know, as we talked about, those processed foods are really addictive. So if you can, if you can make part of your transition, you know, eating more whole foods as well, 
I think you're ahead of the game and you don't have to, you know, first transition to vegan and now you're eating all kinds of vegan junk food and then you're trying to make it healthier. And it's, it's kind of harder because you've now gotten used to the flavors of these vegan processed foods. Whereas if you start by getting used to the flavors of whole foods, um, you know, you're kind of ahead of the game there. Um, but there's other great um, resources as well. I think when it comes to looking, you know, at plant-based nutrition and a lot of the things we talked about, you know, studies that can be misleading and things like that, I love to suggest nutritionfacts.org. Um, that's done by Dr. Michael Greger. And he's amazing. He takes, he goes, him and his team go through every English language nutrition study that's published every year and he really breaks it very complicated studies and complicated topics down into very easy to understand and digestible videos Mm -hmm. so if you're starting plant-based and you're gonna face some people who say oh that's not healthy for you that's not good for you you need meat if you're looking for information to help to help you understand you know the benefits and things like that that's a fantastic website to use because not only does he break it down for you, he actually shows you the studies. So if you decide that you want to, well, maybe I don't want to take his word for it. Maybe I want to read the study myself. The links are there. You can go and dig into that study and pull it apart as much as you want. So, you know, there's, there's definitely nothing being hidden there. Yeah. Those are amazing tips. I love his website because, and you can like, you can go on and you can search any kind of thing and he has lots of answers and it's really good. And he yeah, has a couple books too. Yes. How not to die and how not to diet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're so uh, definitely uh, good reads. It's two of my favorites for sure. They're good. And I will link everything that Paula was talking about in the show notes for you guys to go check out. And thank you, Paula. I actually learned so much. I have so many new things I have to do. I got to get tofu from my freezer. I got to find <laughs> some date powder and make date paste. Oh, awesome. Well, hey, I'm glad we could uh, I'm glad we could share some tips today. And that just about wraps up this episode. I hope you guys learned a lot from Paula, and I would definitely recommend checking out mentalforlentils.com. It's a great resource. She has so much information on going to a whole food plant-based lifestyle, plus she has tons of recipes. Speaking of recipes, I've also linked in the show notes my recipe to making hummus that's oil-free. Because we were talking a lot about hummus and I thought, hey, I've got a recipe about that. Might as well share it. And if all this talk about food has gotten you extra hungry and you're wanting to make a simple plant-based meal, I'd recommend learning how to make smoothie bowls. I personally think of them as the gateway to a healthy life because once I learned how to make smoothie bowls, I was having them for my treats. I was having them for breakfast. I was having them for lunch. They were just my go-to. They're so easy and so versatile. And eating food like this made me want even more healthy food. I made a free guide all about making your own smoothie bowls. You guys can check that out at bit.ly forward slash smoothie bowl guide. Thanks for listening to the show. Don't forget to follow us or subscribe. And if you've got a plant-based story that you want to share, feel free to send me a message on Instagram at thenewnormco or send me an email at hello at newnormco.com. Good luck on your plant-based journey and don't forget to have fun with it. Goodbye for now.